Exodus, isn't it? That's a ton of kids. They might force us to go to the other room and then let them have the big space today. So don't don't let them unionize, Mark. All right, it might be might be a problem with labor negotiations. So all right, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. If you uh, would like a free Bible, maybe you didn't bring one or you don't have one, uh, we would love to gift one to you. Just raise your hand and we will get someone to uh, run it to you. So we have one right here. Um, he'll get it to you in four to six weeks. So, um, but we are in the middle of a uh, really some fairly controversial verses. Uh, and if, if you don't think of them as controversial, at least uh, they can be fairly confusing uh, as we travel through the Gospel of Matthew. And, and we've arrived, uh, the setting is the final week of Jesus' life before he lays his life down on the cross, before he... Uh, is in the grave for three days before he rises again. We we catch this snapshot really beginning in chapter 20 uh, where we enter into the final week. And where we are at in uh, 25 has been, uh, 24 and 25 has been our attention these past few weeks. That, and it, it's some words that he shares about the day he returns. And uh, and, and it's so, so in that we're talking about... Um, when he brings the end of this time of preparation for us, and he brings the time of celebration, and uh, and so he tells us that there's going to be signs of these times, but but that we should be aware, but not try to figure out the exact day of the time because no one knows that. Uh, instead, what we've been trying to do uh, is, is understand that he says, "Listen, when I come, it'll be obvious." Uh, he says, "The angels will blast their trumpets; I will descend from the clouds." Uh, and, and instead of trying to decode the signs of the times, that we would understand there's an important pressing in us to remain in a state of, of urgency and anticipation, preparation, and action. And, and as believers, it says we are to eagerly anticipate the arrival of Jesus uh, with joy, uh, not not with fear. Uh, and and we, we framed it this way last week that... Uh, it was like your spouse has been gone for a few days and you are eagerly anticipating their return. Uh, and we said, if you don't eagerly anticipate the return of your spouse, then maybe um, we need to give you uh, a number to some people that can help you, right? Um, that inside us, that there should be this, this joy, not fear. And, uh, and then as we do that, as we joyfully anticipate his arrival, that that we would evaluate our manner of living so that in his return we would be found sincerely following him and not be deceived by empty religion. And, and so this is pretty much where we were last week as Jesus gives us a parable or a word picture about ten bridesmaids. He says five of them, all of them look the part of the bridesmaid, uh, but five of them are prepared, five of them aren't. Uh, and so the ones who were prepared enter into the uh, marriage feast as the groom has come back. Uh, for them, and they get to enter into this time of celebration, while the five foolish ones, uh, who were not prepared, are left on the outside, uh, hoping that they would get in, but uh, nonetheless remained outside. And and the point is that that we must constantly search our hearts for evidence of authentic faith. That that we need to ask questions like, are we truly the Lord's, or are we just fans of some of the things we heard He can do? Uh, or is our heart truly his, or have we um, 
just compartmentalized a genie in our lives that fits really nicely into our pockets. He takes the blame when things don't go the way we expect them to, um, but also can get some credit when impossible things happen in our lives. And, uh, and so am I, am I eagerly living for his fame to be known, or am I sleeping in a religion that has some movement but never reaches to transforming my heart? Uh, and so... Uh, where we fall today is, is another parable, but, but this time uh, what Jesus was going to address is, is what do we do with the opportunities and the responsibilities uh, we have while we live and we wait for his return uh, from heaven or our arrival there. And so uh, let's, let's pray and then we'll, get, we'll dive in. Father, we come to you and we thank you so very much for your word. We thank you that we're not left here just... Um, in a collection of people guessing what your intentions are for us. And we thank you uh, that through your word we find truth and we find assurance and, and we can better understand what life with you looks like. And so, Father, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that he would speak to us through your word, that you would guard our hearts against our walls of defense, that you would guard our hearts against the ignorance of man, and that we would be able to lean in here and hear you and see you do mighty things through this body. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone say, amen. All right, so, so that's good. That's a good amen. That was, that was a better amen than the hello I had earlier. So that's good. I'll, we're, we're increasing, uh, improving, I should say. Um, so, so, okay, so last week in our parable, I told you we're going to end up asking some questions over the next couple weeks. Uh, and we dealt with three questions uh, when it comes to the parable we were in. And, uh, and I think it's, it's helpful and it's healthy to explore our hearts regarding our posture as we await Christ's return. And, and they're helpful. Uh, the questions we're asking are helpful because it, it kind of cuts right through some masks that we're tempted to wear or some games we are tempted to play. And, and so in your top notes, I've given you, I've, I'm reminding you of those three, that number one, am I keeping watch for Christ? Uh, not am I keeping watch for Christ in the sense that I just sit down and do nothing, but is my mindset on His return? Number two, am I faithfully following Christ? Uh, so, so when Jesus tells me to go on adventures, when Jesus tells me to live in a certain manner, am I faithful in doing that? Is my posture prepared for His arrival? And then lastly, am I trusting Him? I know, Alistair. Am I... Am I trusting Him? Am I leaning into Him, not because I've made some declaration or some confession when uh, I was seven years old at a VBS, uh, but am I trusting Him today? Uh, that may have been the beginning of your journey, but today am I trusting Him as both Lord and Savior of my life? And, and today we're going to ask one question. I'm going to give you one blank to fill out. That's why I've given you room for other notes. Um, but we're, we're going to ask this question, and I think as we dig a little deeper, it's going to reveal why there are times uh, we, we perhaps aren't doing this as well or as determined as we should. Uh, and so our question today is simply this. Am I serving Christ with what He has given me? Am I serving Christ with what He has given me? And some of us uh, just answered that question immediately. Uh, and, and some of you are like, yeah, good. And I'm like, well, hold your, hold your horses, right? And some of you are like, ooh, it's going to be one of those mornings. Okay, 
All right. Well, let's do the work. All right? Let's, let's not be afraid to do the work. And D.A. Carson puts it this way. He says, it's not enough for, for followers of Jesus to just hang in there uh, that, and, and just wait for the end. He says, they must see themselves as servants who improve what their master entrusts to them. Uh, failure to do so proves that they really can't be valued as disciples at all. Okay, so, so we're just going to kind of take this question, take this thought, and we're going to chew on it as we work through uh, these verses. And so, so what I'd like you to do is avoid answering this question prematurely. Uh, let's let's kind of walk through and spoke in some of these verses. And so uh, chapter uh, 25, verse 14, this is where we're at. Okay, so here we go. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Okay, so who's, first of all, whose property is it? His. All right, good. You're like, that's a trick question. Jesus? Uh, is that the answer? No, it's, it's his property. Help us understand the context. So, so this man who called his servants and entrusted them to his property, to one he gave five talents, uh, to another two, to another one. Okay, and I want you to underline this in your Bible if you dare to do so. Um, to each according to his ability. Okay? To each according to his ability. Then he went away. Okay? So, so a few things we need to note here. The context of the parable is the same as we explored in verse 1 uh, of chapter 25. Uh, Jesus is bringing us a snapshot of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Because uh, it starts off one, right? Remember? It says, the kingdom of heaven is life. Uh, and so this is what we get now when he comes in and he says, for it will be like, it is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus is talking about that. He's giving us a snapshot for our actions as we await his return. Primarily, what do we do with our lives as Christians? Uh, and I know you're like, man, that's a that's so deep of a question. I rarely explore it because it takes a lot of work. Um, and so, so, so he says it this way. There's a man going on a journey. Okay, so this reminds us that uh, Jesus has told us the context. He will not be with us always. So he says he leaves to prepare a place for us. Uh, if you go into John chapter 14, uh, verse 3, he says this. He goes, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And so he says, I'm coming back. So at this part in the parable, the master is leaving. Okay? Um, but before he does, he gives them to Secondly, what I think we need to understand uh, is, is what a talent actually is. So if you're looking for some Bible nerdum today, I got you some, all right? So for some reason in my mind, when, when I heard this passage uh, preached before, uh, I thought of a talent as just a couple coins uh, that it would sit in. I don't know where I got this. Um, let's just assume it was from Azel uh, and the pastor was from Springfield, okay? Um, and so, so, but, but, but for some reason in my mind, I thought what we were talking about are some mason jars uh, that was filled with coins, much like what you would have in your uh, drunk drawer with just change that you've thrown over. And so, so I, for some reason in my mind, the master of the house gives this one guy five jars, and this one guy two jars, and this one guy one jar. Now, now the problem with that is that's not at all what is at play. Okay, a talent in the Bible is the equivalent of, of gold and silver equaling about 75 pounds worth of it. Okay? Uh, so, so it's not just a little mason jar. This is a chunk of heavy weight of gold and silver. Now, now for us, 
uh, a talent for them would have been roughly 20 years wages for the servants. Okay? So for 20 years, they say, hey, this is, this is what you would earn, right? Uh, and then uh, to put it in our ballpark, uh, a talent would be roughly the value of $150,000 to $250,000. Okay? So, so understand the weight of this. Uh, it's not like, hey guys, I was cleaning out my closet, uh, I'd like you to do something with this. The master is entrusting his servants with a great responsibility. Uh, he is giving them uh, the equivalent. One of these guys has up to a million dollars that he has been entrusted uh, by his master. And, and the amount matters because it reveals the master's belief in the servants. Okay? From, from all three, the master believes in them because he gives them, as the Bible says, as Jesus says, each to his own ability. Okay? And so we can ignore the fact just for the moment that one gets five, one gets two, one gets one. Because all of them have been entrusted with them. The master believes in them. And you know, I think his invo- he's also giving them an invitation to be part of his great wealth. And, and so, so here's what, what do they do with that, right? I mean, imagine if somebody comes in tomorrow and gives you a million dollars hey, I'm going out of town, um, here's a million dollars, uh, what would you do with it, right? And you're like, win stuff, right? Put it on red. Uh, two million, boom, win the day. Um, which, that would not be responsible, and you'll find out why later. Um, so, so verse 16, here we go. Let's ask, what, what did they do with these talents? Uh, he who had received five talents, uh, he went at once, okay? So he went when? At once, that's important. Okay? The master entrusts him with some things. He goes at once. He's not playing games. He's not jacking around. He goes at once and he traded with them and he made five talents more. Uh, and we're like, ooh, fancy. All right? So, so also, uh, verse 17, so also, uh, he who had two talents made two talents more. But, and usually if there's a but, there's something that's about to happen. But he who had received one talent went, dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Okay, that, that's exactly what's happening. So we're, are we on the same page about the map? I know it can be confusing for some. All right? So, so the first two double, and the, the third one just keeps the same. All right? That, that's what we're talking about here. I, I didn't have to ask Mark to do that now for me. Um, and now I should say this. Before you think that burying the, uh, the talent under the ground is a strange thing, it was not. Uh, it was very much a common practice at the time, that you would bury your treasures in the ground. You wouldn't keep them at home because it was hard to secure that, so you'd go and you'd hide it somewhere. Uh, and you would literally just bury it there. And so, so what, what comes into focus, though, is, is the urgency for being faithful with what God gives us, right? And, and the understanding, and understanding the purposes for which He entrusts them uh, to us that that are literal. We don't have to think talent as in the biblical part, but we can talk about uh, this morning our our literal talents, our, our our time, our treasures. They've all been entrusted to us by God for the purpose of His renown as believers. Okay, so so this draws me into to this really interesting emotion of pride and joy that that the master that God would look at me and say, hey. I'm trusting you with some things in your life. I'm, I'm trusting that you would develop, that you would foster, that you would grow those things. I, I'm, I'm reminded in these moments 
that, that He has equipped me with His Holy Spirit for a purpose, and it's, it's to make His great worth known in my little world. Because let's be honest, that's where we live, right? We can all talk about global worlds, but we really just all live in our, in our own little world as it collides at times with other people, uh, or it combines at times with other people. I'm reminded uh, that, that He has equipped me with His Holy Spirit to be a good husband, uh, that, that Missy would know His great love, to, to be a good uh, father, uh, that my son Derek, that, that he would know God's great heart for him, that, that he would equip me to be a pastor to help equip the saints for the ministry, that he would uh, cause me to be a good friend, uh, that we would, uh, with the people I get to do life with, we would go pursue things that matter, uh, not just sit around and just wait for that. Uh, that, that He would uh, bring me and raise me into transforming me into being a person who lives in hope and joy and peace and gets the privilege of being a light in a dark place. Uh, that I would have the opportunity to help people who are far from God find life in Christ. That, that He equips me for His adventures and He trusts me to do the work while I eagerly wait to see Him face to face. That's what He does for us. Because you're not just waiting to die, that, that I'm giving you purpose for your joy. And, and so the overall parallel becomes pretty clear that, that Jesus uh, is our master and he has given us much, that we are his stewards, that we are responsible for what has been entrusted to us. So here we go in verse 19. Now after a long time, okay, so after a what time? Long time, Okay. So there might have been those moments where they're like, is this guy ever coming back? Right? He said he was going to return. It's taken a while. And let's just be honest. We always think it's going to, things are going to happen quicker than they actually do, right? So, so after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Okay, this is, man, this is good old passion Bible right here. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's a, this is a little phrase that commonly ignored. Okay? Because when we hear these verses, we like, we've heard it said before, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been Faithful over little, I will make you uh, a master over much. Um, and then we will forget this, this second part, and we're going to get to the beauty of it in just a moment. But he says, enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I am, uh, and I've made two talents more. And this is what I love about this guy, because, because remember, the Master gave each according to their own ability. He's not like, hey, I'm sorry I didn't do as well as that guy. Uh, I know you gave him five. He brought back five. I, I apologize. I know you gave me two. I should have made it five. I should have made it six, because I was competing with Jim, you know. But he doesn't do that, does he? You get this sense of pride. And he's like, I doubled the investment. He gave me two, I produced two. Here, take it, count it. Um, and his master, verse 23, said to him, Well done, 
good and faithful serving. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So, so the commendation stays the same regardless of the production, right? I mean, clearly in our minds, we would think that the first guy who had five talents should be more uh, special to the master because he produced more. But that's not what happens here, is it? That the master celebrates both. He celebrates both. And you can almost feel the excitement in their heart. They're like kids jumping around. The master comes in like, oh man, I got good news for you. I got good news. Here, count it. Count it. And as he's counting, he's like, hey, as you're counting, just know this. I doubled it. I doubled it. Doubled it. I didn't lose it. I produce. You entrusted me with something and I've given it to you. And, and I think um, the master's response is so beautiful. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And there's something inside of us as we hear God say that. Like, Ooh, yeah. I'm set to tune up. What am I going to do with all those extra things? And I think that in itself, that, that the first part of that combination, uh, it, it deserves some attention because we find a key to success that many in our time want to ignore, really just want to avoid. Uh, because here's what, here's what it is. We want the proclamation and we want the benefit of being set over much, but we want to avoid the first step. We want to avoid that first step. We, we don't care for and we aren't faithful over the little first. Uh, that and uh, that's big though. I mean, we we expect God to provide great things and give us great opportunities, but but rarely are we asking about the level of stewardship we are caring for in our current situation. Rarely do we evaluate that because we're always looking about what we want next. And, and this isn't just a principle for life. This is a principle for believers who long to make much of. Uh, what God has done for them uh, in Christ, right? I mean, we, we pray for promotions. We pray for, for raises. But are we doing the work now in our current situation that is bringing glory to God? Right? We, why, why would He... Uh, we, we pray for opportunities to God give us better resources so that... Uh, but we rarely ask, are we stewarding those resources in a way that is honoring to Him. And here's my thought, because I feel like the Holy Spirit tells me this all the time. Uh, Why in the world would God give you that thing? If what you're really asking for is Him to bail you out of some practice that you've developed in your life that is sinful. Why are you asking for more if really all you're asking uh, is for Him to relieve a situation that you got yourself into? What makes you think, and we can just talk about money just for a second, just for a second. What makes you think that winning the lottery would make you a better steward of your finances? Because we forget that, that uh, the danger here is, is that we would not see the better reward. Uh, that, that we can create this false win in the pursuit of more and more and more and more and more. Uh, and, and here's what we find out, that it says, be faithful with the little so you can get more. And we're like, I'm on board with that. Okay, I get that. Okay, maybe I'll stop ignoring the first step. I'll start being more faithful with what I have so that God will give me more. And we forget, that's not the better reward here. 
That's not the better promise. In fact, uh, we can trick ourselves into believing this is what's being said here. And when the true reward, I believe, is the second part of the commendation. This is that you would enter into the joy of your master. You would know, you would know this, that you have pleased him and that brings your joy a purpose worth celebrating. That God has entrusted you. You have done the work. You have been faithful. And you get to enter into the joy, into the celebration of Him. And I, and I find that our motivations, when our, if our motivations are focused on the smile of the Father, then our actions and our desires will filter through the practice of stewardship and not a false belief that we've created on our own. That, 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 that what we're learning here is that when we care about stewarding and when we care about fostering what we may consider to be smaller opportunities, which they're not, because remember, this talent, that's a significant chunk of change that we've got to get in. That, that what we're learning is that when, when we care about stewarding and fostering what we may consider to be smaller opportunities, God will gift you with greater opportunities, not for the glory of your name. Okay? And that's, that's the other trick. That, that we hear those words, you've been faithful over little, I will set you over much. And we're like, oh yeah, this is about kingdom building. This is about me getting more. This is about me becoming bigger and larger than life. And what we have to understand is that, that the money, the reward, the, what they produce, what, they, what are they doing with it? They're handing it right back to the master they've understood this whole time, it was never theirs. It was never theirs. It was, it was always about His name. It was always about His thing. It was always about His renown being known. And this is, this is our posture for understanding what do we do with our lives. So, so we can stop thinking about this parable as our own kingdom building because even the servants were eventually given back the talents to the master, rather rather that we can remember that he will entrust you and grant you opportunities for seeing him do unimaginable things. Well, we sang those words, and I pray that we would believe them, that you are a miracle-working God. And the more we press into him, the more we see him, the more we want to uh, not, not produce so that he would love us more, because that doesn't work that way, but that we would produce because... We understand His great worth and we know that the more we see those things at work, the more He does those things around us and in us and through us. We become very aware of His movement so that we can stop our small kingdoms. I just want to be in that one. I just want to be part of that one. So that's, that's, that's big, but pay attention. There's still one more person we haven't brought into account. And, and for me, I'm just letting you know, if you're like, I just want to let you know, you're not alone. Um, I, I am very much exposed in this situation. Verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, right? And he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. I knew you to be a hard man. Okay, so, so if, if you're trying to help in context, this is a good one circle in your Bible. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was, what? Afraid. Okay, you can underline that word. I was afraid. 
And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. And he's almost relieved, right? I don't want anyone. But his master answered him. Okay? This, is, this is rough. This is rough. You wicked and slothful servant. I don't use that word near enough in our day, slothful. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. And, and now here's the tension of the parable. Okay? The tension of the parable and really the tension in our hearts that, that how the servant views the master determines the kind of work he's willing to do for the master. Okay? You almost caught the sense of joy with the first two guys, right? Uh, that they are excited. But this guy reveals something about how he views the master. He comes in and, and his, he has this perception of the master that he's a hard man. Therefore, this opportunity, he sees it through the lens of displeasing him. And that if he doesn't produce, he, 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 his fear, he thinks to himself, will be the end of him. And so his decision is simply this. I will not risk. I will just bear it. I will not risk. I will just sit in my pew. And I will show up and come. I, I will not risk. Because what if I let God down? I will not risk it. Because I feel like the moment I do, He is just going. And if that's your thinking, then you can relate very much to this guy, right? If that's if that's your viewpoint of God, that well, He's really just tricking me because He's out to get me here at the end. Then you can understand why this guy would not risk much of anything. And I think if, if this is the way we view God, we fall into the same trap that, that this is built on the expectation that God is up you the moment you fell up, you fail to live up to expectations. Normally, normally it's your own expectations that you think somehow God has given you. That, that, that if the desire is to satisfy the master out of fear of punishment, then our decisions will be based around preservation and safety. And if you read the Bible, walking with Jesus is anything but those things adventuring with God. Just take some time in the Old Testament and see the adventures of the people who have gone before us. And, and just tell me a life that seems safe to you. Alright? Walk, walk with the first Christians in the book of Acts and tell me that their allegiance to Christ didn't cost them dearly. And tell me that there might be something wrong with us if we convince ourselves that really what God wants for us is preservation and safety. And really what he's told us to do is adventure. So, 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 so if the desire is to satisfy the master out of fear of punishment, then our decisions will race around those things. And, and I, how can I risk, how can I not risk too much so that I don't lose too much of what he's given me? And, and so the footsteps of this kind of thinking, it's much smaller and the impact is much less. That, that I don't want God mad at me so I'm not going to risk because what if I fail? And when we do that, we forget that in this moment, okay, in 
this moment of our lives, in this moment of the parable, that God is for us. That, that His desire is that we would flourish under His care. He's not a taskmaster trying to break you down. That He is trying to flourish you under His care and under the freedom that He's made possible for you. He's given them an incredible freedom, hasn't He? He doesn't give them requirements on how to invest it and what to do with it. He just says, hey, hold on to this. And then He leaves. And out of their joy, say, I want to honor Him. And the third one says, out of my fear, I just don't want to displease Him. I told you, I told you, you'd be exposed here, right? And if God is for us, Romans chapter 8, we could just spend months, we could spend months eating it. It says, it says if, if God is for us, then who can be against us? If He has done such incredible and enormous things to rescue us in Christ, who can stop that? And if He wants to include us in His story, which is much more purposeful than any other story in the history of mankind, in any other story we can even imagine, then why in the world would we think that He's ready to kill us at the first moment of failure? Because He's not. He is for you. He is is for you. And I think when, when our thoughts begin to to work around we get to enter into the joy of the master I think our hearts become freer because this third guy he's trapped in a prison in a prison he can't get out of it these other two they get it and they're working freely and they, they all of a sudden they get to see a life that is able to do incredible things because you step and you adventure with the backing of your master. So we get we get access to enter into the joy of the master. Now let's let's talk about these final couple of verses and and a warning it's going to bring some a hard reality in regards to the consequences of how we manage the talents God is entrusting us with. Verse twenty eight. So so the third guy says, I know you to be a hard man, right? And now the master has responded, you're slothful, right? You're wicked and you're slothful. Um, so he says this. So take the talent from him. Give it to the guy who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And there has been a couple of words that we get to cuddle up to, right? And give us the warm fuzzies about Jesus lately. Uh, and this is one of them. And, and in that place, there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And so the question now becomes, will you be commended for your love or condemned in your laziness? Will you be commended by God in your love as you await for Christ to return or condemned in your laziness of like... You've missed it. You've missed the heart of the Father. And, and we just we can start wrapping this up. And, and I think we would be uh, making a huge mistake if, if we just walked through this, this parable with the expectation of thinking of, of the talent as money. Because normally, this is a good old pastor trick. Uh, there's certain verses when it's Tithe Sunday. 
uh, that you kind of bring out, right? Not that y'all call them Tide Sunday. You call them Days to Avoid Church. Uh, Amber just got that one. You're like, filter, filter. Okay, I guess that was kind of funny. Um, but this is one of those verses that, that pastors will use and they'll, they'll lean in and they'll tell you, what are you doing with, with your money, you know? And if you're not giving it to God, then, you know, you've missed the mark. And, and they'll, all of that's true. All of that's true. But we would, we would make a huge mistake this morning if we looked at this parable and said, well, Jesus is only talking about the compartment of my finances today and ignore all the other compartments. Like, it would be huge. Now, now there is much to be said here. This is a parable uh, causing us to ask this question about what do we do with our, our resources. And, but really, if, if, if it becomes all about the finances, we would blame God because clearly He didn't give us enough. So the fault says. So, 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 so again, this is a parable asking about those questions. Not just in, in giving the tithe to the church, but, but in how we spend our money, how we are generous towards others. But for this parable, it's, it's much wider than that. It, it presses into asking us to consider what are we doing in the talent, the, the opportunities of being a husband and a father and a friend and an employee and an employer or son, a daughter, and we can just keep listing titles that we give people, right? What are we doing with those moments? What are we, what are we doing with, with those opportunities? It, it's pressing me to ask, what am I doing with my life? What am, what am I doing with my voice in regards to helping people who are far from God find life in Christ? What am I doing with those opportunities? Because I assure you this, God is giving them to you. Each according to your own ability. And as you grow in Christ, as you grow in Christ, as you are transformed more and more in the renewing of your mind, as Paul would tell us, that we would see God do greater and greater things in our small little worlds that we tend to live in. And if we're not careful... We can get to the end of some questions and we can realize that we have squandered opportunities to see God multiply. Not just resources, but people. To multiply opportunities that, that we can have squandered chances to make much of Him. And we need to understand each day that He gifts us, He prepares us, that, that He equips us for so that as we await His return, we understand this great responsibility and this great opportunity that He's given us today. And now the danger is we, we wrap up. The danger is simply this. That I can take that, those opportunities, those responsibilities, and I can try to make it about me and I can try to compete with you. And in that moment, we forget that the Master isn't dealing with them as a whole. He's dealing with them individually. He says, I'm thrilled you brought back a double investment. I'm thrilled you brought back a double investment. You wretched and soft person. You didn't bring back anything. 
So I guess really the question is, is how do you view God? At your core, do you believe He is for you or do you believe He is against you? Has He rescued you reluctantly? Has He rescued you in spite of you? Did you beat Him on a technicality because you were in the right place at the right time and you said the right prayer? And if that is you, I just, my heart breaks for you. Because that's not, that's not the God of the Gospel, that's not the God of the Bible. That out of His great love, John would tell us, in our worst of moments, he sent Christ to die for you. And he doesn't say, I guess I'm stuck with them. Because I get to love them. And each and every day that I show my love to them, something changes in their hearts. And they get to see me do incredible things for the glory of my name, which is what God is for. The glory of His name. So my prayer is that we would see God through the eyes of His incredible love for us in Jesus. And that because we realize that He is for us, we are willing to adventure with Him. And now, is failure part of that? Sometimes. Sometimes in your own ability, you will royally screw things up. But the parable is clear. To risk nothing rewards nothing. And if your intention is to enter into the joy of the Master, you risk. You adventure. And you go. And you get bloodied. and you, you, There's moments you're crawling on your hands and your feet. And there's moments where, where God says, go take that hill. And then there are moments He says, just stop and watch what I do. God is for you. God is for you. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. We wrap up. We want to make a couple things available to you. You need prayer today. Keith and, and Kim and Mark and Michelle, they'll be up here. They want to, we want to pray with you. We are a community that believes in the power of prayer. And maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. We believe He comes with a free gift, but a incredibly large demand. He said, it's all of me for all of you. I'm your Savior and I'm your Lord. And we want to walk with you through that journey. I love you guys. Really do. Thanks for letting me yell at you for a little bit um, after I've yelled at myself all week long. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you've given us such a great purpose that you entrust us to important things. And Father, may we not squander those moments. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.